You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Guys, we are rolling into the fall season, and so why not go ahead and head on over to FredHeBakes.com and order yourself some delicious baked goods. Guys, trust me, these delicious baked goods are fantastic with your morning coffee, with your pumpkin spice lattes, or uh, with your seasonal tea of choice like the kind you can get from Trader Joe's, just saying, it's really good stuff, so do not delay, head on over to fredhebakes.com, use that coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like No Love Lost t-shirts or Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. And guys, I don't know if you're aware, but if you're listening to this episode, the day that it drops, it's my birthday! Woo! So, happy birthday to me, and if you'd like to wish me a happy birthday, in the description for this episode, I'm going to link to a couple charities that I think could use a little love this year. 2020 has been hard on everybody, and so I'm just going to list a few organizations that I would really appreciate getting a little bit of support. So if you guys want to make a charitable donation, I would consider that to be a very, very, very kind and thoughtful birthday present. Guys, 2020 has been an absolutely crazy bonkers year, and I think it's only going to get crazier, if I'm being honest. Uh, And the only way we're going to get through it is if we get through it together. So please take care of yourselves stay safe and take care of the people around you too because the only way we're going to make it through this year is if we take care of each other so thank you guys again for the support we love you stay safe and on that note michelle if you would be so kind let's go to the island i would like to see the polar bears there was a crash and there are others and there are numbers and it all means something supposed to anybody but no there are times we hang our heads in sadness we know there's no love lost we had to go back. Now, you say that, Will, but I feel like the second I turn my head, you're going to push me out of a damn window. Ah, that was my plan, exactly. You're lucky we're not in the same room, Megan. Thank Uh, my lucky stars, jeez. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we talk about the greatest quarantine television show of all time, lost i will Uh, say i am certainly feeling pretty lost these days um i'm will link and with me as always megan salinas hey everybody and we are here to talk about season three episode 13 the man from tallahassee and megan this is one of those episodes that if you were watching lost 
back in the day, this was like, this is the one you were waiting for because this is the one where we finally, after being teased again and again, find out how John Locke ended up in that wheelchair. Yeah, an episode of Lost that actually answers some questions? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you got to appreciate them when they happen. Now, um, and I, when I realized what episode this was, I was a little taken aback because they're like, we have been alluding to this episode basically since day one of this podcast, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, or at least since uh, Walkabout. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so it's it's weird to have like, I feel like kind of, I feel like once we get to the time traveling bunnies, I'm going to feel the same way of like, we've been talking about this for so long. I almost can't believe we're here. Yeah, this is a big, this is like a real marker. And, um, you know, you know, it is because it is written by Drew Goddard. Yeah, our boy. <laughs> uh along with Jeff Pinker, and it is directed by Jack Bender. And you got a dream team assembled for this one. Now, the thing is, we this is our second lock flashback of the season. And th that's the other thing. They made us wait for this. Like, they made, <laughs> like, going into this season, you're probably like, we're going to find out finally, right? We have to find out soon. And then you get a lock flashback. And when you and and it was one of the weaker flashbacks, I think. And then you're yeah. like, oh, oh, well, we're not finding this out anytime soon. But then, episode thirteen, we finally get to get to it. Now, I really loved this because, in addition to like finally solving a mystery for us viewers, it also definitely like double down and like proves how inconsequential that other flashback episode was like nothing it from that really... flashback ties back into this at all it's kind of hilarious it's almost like it didn't happen yeah it's really strange that it has nothing to do with uh that we none of that ever comes back you know <laughs> Nope, not in any way, shape, or form. It was literally just there to to basically waste our time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have even had, like, the FBI agent from that episode who, like, the young guy, he could have been somehow the guy who connected Locke to his father again or, or something like that in an investigation. Uh, but yeah, you don't get anything. Yeah, there you could have tied it together to, to make it seem a little less inconsequential or or like even have Locke reflect on the fact um that like you know there was a young man in this flashback and there was a young man in the previous flashback like you could have tied that that together you know given what happens to this kid like you you could have tied it in and like tied that into John Locke's feelings of guilt but no it's like it didn't happen <laughs> um well, you know, we're talking a lot. We're tiptoeing a lot around this flashback. So you want to you want to dive into it? <laughs> Let's go ahead and give our spoiler warning first. Guys, if this for whatever reason is your first episode of No Love Lost, just as a heads up, we spoil everything potentially about this series. Uh, our our 
uh, our individual perspectives on this show are very much tied into how it ended. So at some point, spoilers from all throughout the series could come up. So you have been warned. Uh, and I feel like we already gave you a little spoiler with our intro. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about our good friend, Johnny Locke. Um, oh, Johnny, 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 Johnny. Looking as defeated as ever. The little hair he has left is as disheveled as ever. He's just, he's a, he's a beaten man. And he is, has a uh, interview uh, having to do with his disability. He's on disability. This is a real, like, red herring here. Like, this is really trying to oh, misdirect yeah. us. It is. Also, like, I don't know, this this whole, I know that, like, I know that, like, re remember the days where we all had to go into offices and, like, interact with other people together? I know that, yeah, like, that, is, that <laughs> I know that that type of environment can be stressful, but I feel like this lady's just being really mean. <laughs> yeah, because she asked him a bunch of questions, including about, uh, have you ever searched for your biological parents? And he was like, He's basically like, none of your business. Uh, and they're like, well, we need to know. Uh, which I don't really understand why they need to know still. I don't um, either. I understand asking about whether or not he's still going to therapy. But like, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't yeah. see why the other thing is relevant. Um, And I guess, you know, I guess he's in disability for some sort of like depression, which I guess you can do. I don't know. It sounded like maybe he was having trouble with his kidneys or something. I I don't know. Maybe maybe because he gave away one of his kidneys, it's causing other health problems, which yeah, like, makes like <laughs> like depression. <laughs> they give disability if your biological father has stolen a kidney of yours. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. And it, like it makes me wonder whether or not that group that he was a part of when he met Helen, was that supposed to be his therapy? Was he having to pay to go to that group? Cause like, no, he like, he, cause he was talking about how he thought therapy was a waste of time. Uh, it's not John Locke. Oh, you it's know not. what? <laughs> but you know what? I bet you it was that group. And, and I don't necessarily know if he has to pay for it. Like, I mean, it might've just been a kind of thing that he has to go in and like, they sign off on hours that he's been there like a you know but well but, it, uh, the, the the thing was is that they were talking about his reimbursement for for therapy oh yeah he's like oh i stopped mm. going um so it makes that's me think right. that it was more one-on-one -on -one sessions and in which case if that's the case because like i don't think you go to group sessions and like have to pay for them um so I don't know. It, it just it there. I have a lot of questions about this initial one-on-one -on -one interaction. But if we stay here, we will be here for the rest of the podcast. So let's move on. <laughs> Drew Goddard, we want to know what you think therapy is. Um, but <laughs> exactly, the, there's no shame in it, John Locke. At the end of the scene, though, uh, uh, John Locke stands up, and it's like, oh, he's not in disability because he can't walk. Uh, so there's your misdirect. Um, yeah. and then it's almost 
almost like the show like literally says gotcha <laughs> as he stands up. It's kind of funny. Then we see um John quote unquote enjoying a TV dinner. Uh always the sign of a depressed person on a TV show. They have a, <laughs> it is, they have... It's visual shorthand for this person's life is really sad. Uh, I will also let you know I had a lean cuisine before we started this. So, <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I didn't have the chance to have dinner. Um, so instead, I just stuffed a bunch of Cheez Its into my face. So I'm having Cheez Its and whiskey for dinner at the moment. <laughs> I will be having Cheez Its in my face when we're done with this. <laughs> um, I will actual dinner when we're done with this but that's if i don't end up like if i end up getting caught up doing stuff whiskey and cheese it's is my dinner (laughs) so there's a knock on his door and there's this young man peter and he wants to talk to john despite the fact that john has a no soliciting sign on his door (laughs) see see the sign anyway (laughs) um so Peter is like trying to ask him questions. And then finally he gets in by saying, how many kidneys do you have? Ooh. And it, it turns out Peter's mom has started seeing this guy and this guy, the only thing he could find out about this guy who he doesn't trust is that John Locke had given him a kidney. Uh, he was able to find the guy's medical reports. Yeah, and the the like the the way he puts it is like you gave him your kidney, he can't be all that bad, right? Like definitely looking like, hey, this feels wrong. Was there anything shady about this transaction? Like, did he steal your kidney from? Like, did he put you in a tub of ice and steal your kidney? And Locke uh, decides to go with the, I don't know anything about this, it was an anonymous donation. He's just, Locke's just one of those great guys who just gives away his organs to strangers. Which, I guess there are people who do that. But, uh, uh, I don't think I would do that. Uh, I need my organ. (laughs) As somebody who's currently drinking at the moment, imbibing alcohol, I need all of my organs functioning in tip-top shape so that I can keep drinking that alcohol. Exactly. I lose an organ, I ain't drinking. I get a new liver, I can't damage (laughs) that liver. Um, No, it's important. But um, Locke doesn't just, like, put this aside. He decides he is going to do something about it, and he hunts down where his father is with this woman he's he's uh uh, dating he looks into it and he finds them uh at a a florist picking up flowers for the for the big event and Locke walks in there and anthony cooper his father sees him and you know immediately kind of goes over and makes an excuse and goes over to talk to him uh Ah, uh, because he knows trouble when he sees it. <laughs> yeah. He knows the jinx he's, up. He's basically said, look, this woman's kid came to me. Uh, w- uh, 
you got to end this con. Like, I, I'm sick of this. You make people think they're family. You need to call this off. They're on to you. You need to call this off. And the father's basically like, like, hey, okay. Uh, he, like, reluctantly agrees. But, you know, he doesn't really reluctantly agree. Of course agree. not. Of course not. He's Anthony Cooper. He's not He's not going to let uh, an earnest plea from John Locke be heard. He's going to do everything he can to ignore what his son has to say. Um, I will say, though, that this whole setup of Anthony, you know, getting hitched to this lady for her money, like as a con... Do you, like looking back on it, do you think this was adequate foreshadowing um, to figure out who Anthony Cooper actually was in relation to a different uh, character on the island? I guess so. I mean, we, we, yeah, we, I guess we don't know that at this point, do we not? We do not. We do not. But like, I feel like it's a good bit of foreshadowing without being too in your face about it. Without being like this, like I, I think, especially for like how eagle-eyed lost viewers were back in the day, and how quick they were to put theories together and put two and two together, I feel like at this point, like people, if they hadn't already done it, this probably would have been the episode to make people go, "Oh, I bet Anthony Cooper is Sawyer." Yeah, exactly. Um, and. Uh... You know, basically, uh, look, John, again, John trying to do things on his own, you know, immediately you should just tell the son or. Oh, yeah, no, he should have, he should have been honest from the get go. Then like this guy is nothing but trouble. Call the cops. (laughs) But, you know, he's he's a wanted criminal. (laughs) You know what it is? It's that it's that belief that my father is still capable of doing the right thing. And I'm going to force his hand to do the right thing. And that's a uh, uh, step out of this yourself. Oh, oh, John. Oh, John. That's so naive. But I get it. I get it, man. Because you want you don't want to believe your father's a total piece of shit, even though we know his father's a total piece of shit. No. Um, so, wouldn't you know, a couple days later, some detectives show up, and they're like, ah, oh, do you know that guy Peter? And he's like, no, nah, I don't know any Peter. And they go, you don't know the guy who we know, uh, like, came to your door? The guy whose address was in his pocket? And he's like, well, why was his address in his my, his pocket? And they're like, well, because he's dead. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh. The second the cops start talking to John, it's like, oh, no, that poor boy. That poor boy is gone. Yeah. And John immediately knows must have been, must have been, my father must have killed him because the key, fr- which really then would it be John's fault for alerting the father that the kid was on to him? Yeah, I mean, indirectly, John Locke is responsible for this kid's death. He didn't mean to, obviously. He was trying to get his dad to do the right thing. But inadvertently, he he gave this kid away. And then uh, John decides, 
he's gonna go confront his father again. You know what's kind of chilling about the whole thing, though, is that they don't say how he died. That's like, true. It's left. It's left to your imagination. Um, but clearly, it was. It wasn't like a car crash or something like that. Like it was shady enough that like there's an investigation going on. You know. I'd like to think Peter fell out an eight-story window. Oh, dear. That's Mr. Cooper's move. That's what he does. He's like, I, there's only one thing I can do really well, and that's going to be my go-to murder move. I'm good at stealing kidneys and pushing people out windows, and that's it. Nothing else. That's why I have to con people. I can't hold down a normal job. So John goes to... uh his father where are they is it a hotel room is it an apartment where where are they i assume hotel apartment i don't now that you've mentioned it i actually don't know but um because yeah you'd think that if he was getting married to this lady that they'd cohabitate but i guess that's not the case but now they're but she called off the wedding he finds out she called off the wedding because oh, did she, she now? She's so <laughs> devastated by the boy's death. And John's like, why are you still here? And he's like, look, John, I was looking for an angle, I'll admit, but there's no profit here. The wedding's off, uh, you know. And John's like, I-, I don't believe this. I don't I don't believe yeah. that. The ve- they, and he's like, mm, well, why don't you call her? And he's like, I'm going to call her. And he <laughs> goes her over. <laughs> yeah. He goes over to the phone and then is very... And one of the things I love about this is how abrupt it is. How it happened really fast. Like, you don't see... Like, I remember watching this and not... And and thinking we might get an answer to why is John in the chair? Because there's so much talk about it on the island. But I remember watching this and when he went out that window... I was like, because it's also, it's an impossible fall to survive, basically, unless, say, you were touched by Jacob. But it's... <laughs> sure. But but it's like a impossible fall to survive. And, and it's, and I even think, like, you know, it's a mid-2000s television effect, but I think it looks good, too, because it, yeah. it happens fast. Yeah, they, they don't, like there's not yeah. a ton of time to like linger on the green screen um, sort of effects. And like the, the editing cut of like cut to black and the sound effects that, that accompany it, um, it's all really well done. It's all really well put together. And uh, there's kind of almost like no build up to it too. Like you said, it's very, it's very it's- abrupt. So like even if you're suspecting that like Anthony might try something you don't think that you don't think that this is what's about to happen and talk about not lingering like you go right to it like a lot of times we would have had like a commercial break or we would have had a uh, uh, back to the island thing moment but we boom he's now in the hospital he's messed up He's all beaten and bruised. Actually, he looks pretty good for someone who got pushed out a window eight stories, <laughs> if we're to be honest. 
<laughs> but we Jacob's got your back except for all those times he really doesn't. And Locke has this um exchange with these uh cops who are basically yeah, like same same detectives. Same detectives. They're like, your father fled to Mexico, like we're sorry. And you get the impression he's been there a while because he's been doing some physical therapy, clearly. And they're about to put him in a wheelchair for the first time. And the, the, uh, not, he's not an orderly, uh, the physical therapist, I guess that's what he is. He, who's putting him in the, the chair is basically like, Hey, like you could, like, you can do this. Like you survived eight stories and it's kind of a little hint of the um don't tell me don't, what i can't do uh -oh. this is abs this is absolutely where it comes from because john locke is clinging to to the bed basically and going i can't no please i can't and um that's yeah that's when his therapist says you know you survived an eight-story fall don't tell me what you can't do and yeah. it's like, oh, there it is. There it is. He said the thing. He said the thing. And I actually kind of like that as the origin of that particular mantra for John Locke, uh, even though it leads him to act like an insane, selfish madman on the island. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is where it comes from. It comes from this guy putting him. But they really, like, when they put him in that wheelchair, they, they do a job on the show of making that wheelchair, like, feel like a prison like yeah, feel like really yeah oh no and it's it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking um the like this this whole sequence you know from shooing the detectives out of the room um to him being forcibly picked up and put into the chair with the michael giacchino score um and then like being put into the chair and then immediately being left alone back in the room because uh the the therapist had to go get something um and just leaving him alone in that room in that chair um like yeah it's it's really well put together and just seeing his breakdown happen um it's really really moving and uh it's it's an effective scene uh so let's go to the island shall we Wait, wait, wait. Do we have a pigskin we can toss around? I know. If only you and I were in the same room and owned a that's football. A socially <laughs> yeah, that's a socially distant activity we could do. Yeah, except don't uh, don't breathe on that football. <laughs> no, you, you still got to wear a mask if you're going outside. That's responsible. You have to be responsible when you do that. Luckily for the uh, denizens of... Uh, this island uh, uh covid19 hasn't reached them yet so they can safely play football without wearing masks and uh uh i want to live know. that life man i want to live that island life <laughs> and jack is there where we picked up on him last time he's playing football with the others and everyone is so well i shouldn't say everyone like saeed and and Locke are watching this, and Rousseau decides she's going to take this opportunity to peace out. I love her. <laughs> such a good, such a good idea. <laughs> Rousseau, Danielle, out. Um, and and I'll, let, let's just bring this up real fast so we can put a whole button on it. Um, 
on Rousseau. Uh, we do see Rousseau later in the episode. She is spying, watching Alex. Ugh, yeah, yeah. It's heartbreaking. Because, like, you know that, like, all she wants to do is drop everything and run to her daughter. But she has to be cautious. And, you know, like, again, great acting. Like, you can see, like, the hurt in her face as, like, she wants to go and, and, and see her daughter again but she has to keep her distance you can see that hurt there but also like the relief that her daughter's still alive like it's it's a it's a litany of emotions it's really 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 good so they're watching jack trying to figure out what's going on and really the only one who's completely like again this fits into kate's been a little off the rails these last few episodes and she is getting incensed she says, Juliet, come out. The Juliet touches Jack's arm. Mm. Uh, they go over to Ben in a wheelchair. They shake hands. Uh, now, to Kate's credit, I agree. I agree. A lot of Kate in this episode does come off as, like, overly emotional. Like, what did they do to you? When, in fact, like, he might just be playing along. But the thing we have to keep in mind is is that she and Sawyer saw a hypnotism clockwork orange room like going on where like there's legit mind control stuff going on. So That's true. Which she doesn't so, mention though. No. I kept waiting for so, her to mention that. <laughs> so to Kate's credit, she is probably thinking that like, oh, they must have brainwashed Jack, which is why she keeps asking, what did they do to you? What did they do to you? But without that being included in the previously on law section, like it comes off really weird. Like it, it comes off really weird in this episode without that context, you know? Yeah. I, and it's almost as if that scene is only in there that, that, that hypnosis room is only in there to make us think that they might have hypnotized Jack in a weird way, you know? Yeah, so we both agree that it's stupid and dumb and only there for manufactured tension? Do we agree on that, Will? No, you will not get me to agree <laughs> on that. Come on, give me this, man. It was my man in black that episode. I, I will not give you this. Uh... <laughs> I'm at the end of my rope here, man. Please give it to me. <laughs> anyway, so... No, I, I Locke, agree with you. It comes off very weird on Kate's part. Well, because, because then Locke doesn't make the statement of this is going to be more complicated than we thought. Yeah. And Kate still wants to go in guns blazing. And, you know, they bring it up. Like, Jack probably has a good reason for whatever he's doing. I and really like that line from Locke. Like, the, the there's this yeah. whole little monologue he does of, like, the first time I saw Jack, he was jumping in headfirst to rescue people in, like, the middle of a burning wreckage. Like, if he's shaking hands with people and playing nice, he probably, like, there's probably intent behind it. And I really liked that monologue. So Locke basically proposes the idea we're going to wait till dark and that's the plan. And they go in and he's got like, they're all going in a different direction because Locke's got his own fucking plan, you know, and Kate goes in 
to Jack's house. And it is the logical idea of like, oh, he should see you first. Or is it even that logical? I mean, Jack knows all of them. Honestly, this is all playing into John Locke's strategy. Like, he, he's correct in that, like, Kate should be the one to go and see Jack. But, like, let's also not pretend that he doesn't have his own agenda <laughs> at the moment. And so sending her in and Saeed in a different direction, who's been, like, eyeing John Locke for like you know this entire trip like it makes sense that he would want to get them separated so that he could go and do his own little side quest that he's here to do exactly and kate goes into jack's place and we hear uh, someone playing the piano and it's, it's like, oh, uh, yeah he can play the piano and it's pretty and lovely yeah and it's a nice little quiet and i guess jack just quietly plays the piano to himself while he's waiting to leave the island forever hopefully on a submarine i mean if you don't have if you don't have a book or um i don't know there didn't really seem to be a whole lot there to like divert his attention like i didn't see any computers or a tv or books couldn't juliet have given him a copy of carrie to read i don't know <laughs> One would think maybe she did and he was like oh no i don't like stephen king and that's when juliet silently decided to herself that she and jack could never be together <laughs> that would do it <laughs> um, she's like he's a good guy but he's not the one so what ends up happening is uh kate walks in and he's like what are you doing here and she's basically like, I'm here to rescue you. And he's like, they're watching you. And sure enough, they're cameras. And they bust in. And they also drag in Saeed. And they've got him at gunpoint. And uh, this is not a successful rescue operation. No. Dare I say this was a complete and total failure? Except for John Locke. Who has, during this... <laughs> He has snuck into Ben's uh, house, and Ben's basically like, like, oh, like, you're here for Jack? No, I'm not looking for Jack. I'm looking for the submarine. Uh, and this is when we're all like, no, John, no! Because we've put it together now. He's got explosives. We know he doesn't want to leave the island. Um, we, he destroyed the communication place. Like, yeah, we know exactly what's up at this point. But at that point, Alex comes in. So John has to grab her. And then the other people are coming in, Mr. Friendly and such, to talk about what's going on with Jack. But Locke hides in the closet with Alex. And while he's in the closet, he hears Ben say... Uh, bring me the man from Tallahassee to which Locke says, oh, is that some sort of code? And Ben, it has a great Ben moment. Of Ben's <laughs> like, no, we don't have a code for when you're hiding in the closet with my my daughter. Although we probably should. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The, the, just like, clearly that's a thing we should have. I adore pretty much every Ben-Locke interaction in this episode. Um, can we, I mean, obviously, Ben is a terrible person. He's a monster. 
But like John Locke taking an innocent girl like and holding a gun to her head. Is this the point where John Locke is officially a villain? Because I feel like one could make the argument that John Locke is officially a villain at this point. I, I don't because these people are are villains and I never yes. I thank ne- you for admitting thank you for admitting that the others are villains and therefore the bad guys and that therefore Jacob is bad. Well, <laughs> no, I would I I No, I I'm messing with you, Will. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> but look, our our nerves are shot right now. So apologies. <laughs> but, but um I, I never once would ever think Locke would kill Alex. No, of course not. But he is doing a lot of villainous stuff. Like, for... Because, okay, maybe villainous is the wrong word. He's being extremely selfish. Because because he doesn't want to leave. He's willing to trap everybody else well, here. Well, yeah, in the last couple episodes, he did blow up a place and he killed He did man. murder that guy, yeah. He definitely murdered Mikhail. Uh, although nobody knows that I guess Mikhail is still alive. Like, again, Beric Tendarian. <laughs> hey, the Game of Thrones books were out at the time of Lost release, right? Um, I, I mean, I know it, some of them were. I, I'm legit wondering whether or not like the character of Beric Dondarrion inspired Mikhail because they're both immortals with eye patches. That's true. Oh, the eye patch. I didn't even think about the eye patch. <laughs> and I, maybe immortal is the wrong word, but they both have a hard time dying. <laughs> so anyway, um, sorry, that's a tangent for another day. So basically, um, Locke says he wants Alex to go get his the bag from Saeed and Ben is like well you know holding me hostage here for her doing things she's not like I'm not her favorite person right now but Alex in that moment kind of gives him kind of like a dad like like she's not gonna she's not happy with Ben but she's still clearly loves him as a father he's still her dad like you know that sort of thing where it's like of course we're not like seeing eye to eye right now you tried to brainwash and then murder my boyfriend uh but like you're still my dad (laughs) you know i really love the dynamic when they were in the hatch together ben and Locke. but this is really when the Locke ben dynamic starts to develop full force the one that kind of carries us through until you know ben kills him yeah i what i i uh, mean my my big problem with the the ben lock dynamic in the previous season was that all of ben's manipulation was really overt uh here it's because the power dynamic is seemingly shifted it makes ben's manipulation not seem like manipulation at all which is the best well, kind of manipulation, you know? I think it also helps that Ben's no longer playing a character. He no longer has That's to also true. be Henry Gale. He gets to yeah, be no. Benjamin Lawrence. Yeah, evil that's mastermind very true. of the island. Yeah. So yeah. what ends- uh, <laughs> up... 
point being, I, I 100% agree. Like, I, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And I, I loved seeing their back and forth. And Ben basically now asks Locke some questions, like, how are you going to pilot the sub? And Locke's like, well, for all you know, I was in the Navy. And then he's like, no, I know what you're going to do. You're going to destroy the sub. And then he rattles off a whole bunch of facts about Locke's life, including being in the wheelchair, to which he asks, did it hurt? Ooh. And Locke kind of tersely comes back at him like, felt my back break? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> um, so in the interim, let's take a little detour to, you know, the billiards room of the... Uh, of the uh, uh, others. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like that they have like a ping pong table and like a foosball table and like an arcade machine. And I'm like, you know, all things considered, uh, this is like a fun little rec room. <laughs> I, I, I got to hand it to them. The Dharma Initiative, they wanted all, they needed all that stuff there back in the 70s. They had early arcade games, you know. <laughs> they went um, I'm just thinking to myself, if I have to, like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have to keep living in isolation, but if I had, like, a, a rec room with, like, a foosball table and an arcade game, I, I'd be pretty set for a little while. A foosball table? Ping pong table? Who are you playing with? My roommate. I have a roommate. Uh, <laughs> I do have a roommate. I, got no, I have no. So Aww. you get the ping pong table. Give, give me the arcade game. You got it. You got it, man. <laughs> um, well, Kate's in there, and of course, she's like getting out of her cuffs or whatever, you know. I loved this moment because, again, I I know that Kate, com because of her panic regarding the potential mind control, is coming off really, really overly anxious in this episode and everything like that. But you know how I kept complaining about how the start of this season was like, oh, wow, Kate's not allowed to do anything. I did love seeing her do the handcuff trick that you see people do in movies all the time. And of course, Mr. Friendly walks in while she's doing this and he kind of just has a look on his face like, of course, this is what she's doing. <laughs> I, I kind of love this too. This is fun. And then he basically brings Jack in. It almost seems like a very nice thing that he's doing. He brings Jack I'm in. Jack starting to come around on Mr. Friendly. I'm starting hey, to think maybe he's not so bad. There's a reason he's called Mr. Friendly. Um, and it's <laughs> he's because just a big old softy, isn't he? It's because it's his last name. That's why. <laughs> um, so basically him and Kate have this conversation and she's like, you are with them. And he's like, no. he's like, look, I made a deal with them. That's what I told you not to come back here. I made a deal with them. They're letting me uh, and Juliet go home. And Jack says he's doing this so then he could come back to the island. We have to go back. Um, and, <laughs> and he can get, he can then rescue Kate and everybody else. Which, you know, makes some sense. Yeah. I mean, again, he doesn't know about the weird electromagnet, whatever, whatever, that supposedly can prevent people from coming back to the island. All he knows is, like, I'll leave, I'll, and I'll be able to lead people back. Just to 
kind of put a button on this thing also. Um, uh, not on this scene, but getting away from Locke, Ben stuff. Uh, while this is going on, Alex is also going to get her pack from, or get uh, Locke's pack from Saeed. And, you know, I don't know why they just didn't take the pack, why it has to still be with Saeed, but it is. And she goes over and gets this pack. And Saeed's, like, looking at her, and he's like, you're Alex. And she's like, how do you know my name? He goes, oh, you look like your mother. And he's like, my mother's dead. And Saeed's like, ah, of course that's what they would tell you. I loved that moment. Like, because, again, Saeed was the first person to make a connection with Russo. Um, And so I really like that he's the one that kind of, I, I, I know that, like, Kate and Claire already kind of had a connection with Alex, but, like, I really like that this initial meeting between Saeed and Alex, that he's the one talking to her, actually, even before Rousseau gets a chance to. Um, and I also kind of like that. It makes the, sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. It It feels like a really good narrative payoff for something that was established in season one. And I also really like the um, <laughs> the island muscle guys because she's like, I don't know, Ryan. I don't like my dad just told me to get it. Like, do you want to go and answer like a- answer questions for my dad? But like um, like Ryan and we also had Danny earlier this season. I feel like the others just before communication was completely cut off with the outside world, just like recruited a bunch of muscle guys, right? Like, guys to just be hired goons. (laughs) (laughs) You need... Look, every operation needs goons. (laughs) Ben Linus was like, I'm definitely evil. I'm going to need some henchmen. Back to Locke and Ben. So, now they they, they have these really great back and forths while Locke is eating chicken. Um... And they Which talk about. I cannot blame him. He made a beeline for that fridge, and I can't blame him. <laughs> um, they talk about when they were back in the hatch and how it always drove Ben crazy. He couldn't let on that he knew about the wheelchair thing, and he wanted to know, like, was it instantaneous? How did you like? Uh, how did it work when you when you were healed? And Locke's like, oh. You're wondering why you haven't healed. In fact, you're wondering why you got sick to begin with. And Which honestly, is a really good question. It really is, because I'll be honest, I had not thought about it at all. I thought a lot about the logistics of Ben getting sick and like the timeline of like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. But Locke is absolutely right, because of what we saw with Locke, uh, his miraculous recovery, Rose's miraculous recovery and then even when John Locke got injured in season two and had to be on crutches for a little while he recovered remarkably quickly um so it's like yeah how did Ben get sick actually I mean it's it's you know it's a punishment thing it's a thing yeah no it's 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 a question of worthiness I think yeah, it, 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 I mean, they have or this just, debate about Or just Jacob playing favorites. <laughs> well, but, I mean, they do have this debate about, like, how do you know you're worthy for the island kind of thing. 
and Jacob, uh, uh, not Jacob, Ben, you know, maybe Ben isn't worthy enough for the island. Maybe he is. Alert, alert. He's not. Uh, and maybe Locke is. And spoiler alert, he only thinks he is. Oh, um, but basically, Ben calls him out like, You're afraid if you leave, you're gonna be back in that chair, so you don't want to leave, and that's why you want to blow up this sub. And then Ben goes into his whole thing about how I was born on this island. He wasn't. Uh, I was, lies, I was, lies and slander. <laughs> but he did grow up on the island. Uh, True. Probably a lot of these people probably believe he was born on this island. Um, and he said, "Look, you can't blow up that sub." And the second Ben is trying to convince you not to do something, you should know that he really wants you to do it. And I think a lot. <laughs> I think Locke understands at a certain point he is being manipulated, especially when Alex calls it out later, but he doesn't care because he thinks he, he thinks he also needs to sub blown up. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like he doesn't care because Ben's agenda doesn't matter to him because in his mind, again, Ben isn't worthy. And so even if Ben has some scheme, ultimately it doesn't matter because he's not worthy of the island. Because everybody here is cheating, as he puts it. <laughs> and Ben gives a pretty good explanation. He, he says that um, about him being weak for letting Jack leave, but being a... Um, yeah, he was he was in a uh, catch twenty two position by allowing Jack and Juliet to go. It was a sign of weakness, but confi- like keeping them on the island um, was a sign of yeah. cruelty, and either one would mean the end of his leadership. Yeah, because um, he on had the to, island. he had to keep his word. Um, but here comes Locke with his explosives. Now they get into a big discussion here where uh ben literally brings up uh jj abrams mystery box i like as he's giving this monologue i'm literally like yelling at the screen fuck you (laughs) which is why i really loved Locke's response yeah he basically is like so there's a box on this island and it's magical and you can get anything you want out of this box and Locke's like, well, it better be big enough to get you another submarine. So maybe uh, I really liked that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a really good line. <laughs> Drew Goddard, thank you. You are you are a gem. I don't know if you wrote that or if the other person who wrote this script wrote that, but uh, like, I feel a lot of love for Drew Goddard in this moment. <laughs> He also, Locks tells Ben he's not worthy, but Ben's like, you've only been here 80 days, which, by the way, this is a long 80 days. A lot of yeah. the, the second they said 80 days, I was like, oh, geez, I've been in quarantine longer than that. <laughs> that is weird to think about, man. <laughs> so, Locke basically now, you know, Alex has come back with the explosives, and Ben makes one last quote-unquote plea to be like, look, Jack's going home in that sub. 
sub's not going to be able to return here anyway. So just let it go. Like, let it go. Like, and, you know, you don't know whether Ben's lying. Locke's kind of, but, but Locke doesn't care. He's going to go blow up that sub because yeah, he's not it, taking any chances here. He's not taking any chances. And to his credit, Ben is a compulsive liar. So it's impossible to tell whether or not he's lying. And I, I think that's both a plus to individual scenes and also a huge minus when it comes to overall continuity of this series because it's like what what is truth what because <laughs> if we're looking for um to ben linus for answers like we're never gonna get them <laughs> which is kind of ironic because the the short at the end of this series uh he's the one basically giving all the answers <laughs> oh. oh boy but at that point he's gone on a redemption arc so you know, Locke has gone off with Alex to blow up the sub. Uh, and he lets Alex go. And, you know, at any point at this time, anyone could go stop Locke at this point. But Ben doesn't really want Locke stopped. Nope. Not uh, at all. You know. And Jack comes to... And you already see where this is going. Jack comes to Ben and be like, hey, one last favor before I leave. Uh, let Kate and Saeed go, and Ben agrees. They shake on it. Um, <laughs> Which, this is such a great exchange. Michael Emerson is so good. <laughs> He's so good in this. And Juliet even thanks Ben. It's like almost like a nice moment between them. And they walk down to the dock. And Locke's coming back up the dock. They put guns on him. Jack's like, what the hell you doing here, Locke? Because it's never a good sign when you see Locke. And then no. Locke apologizes. <laughs> and explosion. Uh, like, I have no idea how uh, I reacted to this upon a first watch. Like, I legit don't remember how I reacted to this. But, like, I mean, upon a pretty, rewatch, I'm like... John Locke, you madman! What is wrong with you? Um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, even though it's a telegraphed thing, it's still, like, it hurts. Yeah, because it's, like, so close. They're so close. Salvation was just, just beyond their reach. So we get one more scene at the end of the episode. And Locke is handcuffed, and Ben comes in to see him. Richard is with him. Richard uncuffs Locke. Um, and this is where he says, like, like, I I needed to keep Jack here, but I had to keep my word. Uh, this is when he does the whole thing about that. And then he said, he says, listen, when I asked you about if it hurt, I didn't mean physically. I meant how did it feel that your father tried to kill you? And it's the reason you like being here on this island. So one place your dad can never find you. And he's like, well, let me tell you what, you must have some communion with the island. Cause look what we got out of that mystery box, magic box, mystery box. And bum, bum, bum. It's Anthony Cooper locks. Which... father kind of a surprise not gonna lie yeah that is a surprise uh 
And it was a surprise when I, I remember being surprised by it when I saw it back all those years ago. Yeah, because we're not expecting to see anybody else from the mainland show up here, you know? So, it, look, I think this is a great episode. Yeah, it's excellent. It's entertaining. It brings us new levels to different characters. Like, it's kind of a... Uh, it's like, I think it's one of the more... like I think it's one of the better episodes of the series. I have no... Uh, I have very few complaints about anything written by Drew Goddard. <laughs> you know? But I have to pick a man in black, Megan. So, oh, I, I, do you? Do you? I mean, I do. It's in the contract. It's in the uh, conceit of the show. That is true. I did yeah. make you sign a legally binding agreement at the when we first started this. And I think it's a cheap one that I'm going to pick because I've picked it already this season. But <laughs> again, Kate's got to calm down a little bit here. Like, like, you know, you can't go in guns blazing. You can't be like, like, trust that your boy Jack knows what he's doing. I feel like they, yeah, I I concur with this. Like, they should have made it more clear that her distress and anxiety stems from a fear that he might have been mind controlled because if you like got up and went to the bathroom for that one scene or whatever like this comes like you missed the context for why she's acting this way but, but by the way we're just projecting that there's nothing in the episode other oh, than the fact that we saw a mind control room that's 100% fair <laughs> that is me yeah. trying to apply logic to the way that she's written in this episode. So it's entirely possible that they were just writing her to be hysterical woman, which is also not great. All of it bad. All of it bad. Megan, what's yours? Um, you know, honestly, I'd give it to that as well because like I don't like I said I I feel like that's not if that is in fact her reasoning for acting the way she's acting and it like assuming she's not just acting out of pure jealousy. Um, I I think that that should have been more well established. But since you already went with that, I'm going to go with just how selfish John Locke is as a character. Um, although that's not... You know what? No, I take it back. John Locke yeah, acting selfish like is... It's not bad writing. It's a character flaw and it's a character choice and it's not bad i'm gonna give it to uh, like there like i'd be bending over backwards to say it's not the way kate is written in this episode as well so like even though it's the same thing i'm gonna give it to kate um um my jacob and i have a feeling it might be yours too uh we might match up completely on this but the back and forth between ben and Locke, the writing is perfect their performances are perfect there's a reason once again the keys <laughs> of the two guys want to be for this show yeah i like hands down hands down it's the best thing about this episode if we wanted to be different for the sake of being different i would give it to terry o'quinn's performance upon being put into the wheelchair but, like, 
honestly, the the most engaging thing about this episode is the back and forth between Ben and Locke. And this is one of those moments where I'm like, am I wrong for hating Ben? Because I just absolutely loved watching him in this episode. It was delightful seeing this guy who previously, you know, on top of the world, um, being in a compromised position, still being 100% in control of this entire scenario. And it's like, I think I like watching Ben be the bad guy. He's a great bad guy. And Michael Emerson is like, you could see the, this season in particular, you could see the fun he's having with it. (laughs) At least I hope he's having fun because it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where me and my aforementioned roommate talk about horror things. And uh, I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-host talk about Rooster Teeth uh, productions. So go and check both those things out. And you can follow me on Twitter at the real will link and you can buy my book crazy about kurt uh on amazon.com so megan until next time see you in another life brother hey there everybody I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, Yeah, the podcast Jukebox network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, And so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Mm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.